Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery. And I'd love to share with you about these phases, what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now, on to our show. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. And I'm guessing we're going to have a lot of that today with my special guest, so stay tuned for that. (laughs) And very importantly, Beyond Surviving is about letting go of the past and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable 
and I help them break free from the pain and finally reclaim their lives. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now, I have to tell you, today my guest, Rebecca O'Donnell, is so dear to my heart. She and I met years ago and connected and have been in touch and following each other's work and journey. And today I have asked her to come and speak with us. I wanted to get a little update on her life and make sure that you all are aware of this amazing woman and her work and her book, So today she's really going to be sharing with us about her experiences in overcoming self-hatred and doubt and the building blocks she used to finally learn how to be happy. Rebecca is an artist and author, and her memoir, Freak, The True Story of an Insecurity Addict, was written to not only help our brothers and sisters of circumstance but also to provide a window for loved ones to understand how a CSA damaged mind thinks. Rebecca is currently writing two sequels to Freak, which I am super excited about, as well as a book of daily insecurity exercises to help combat our vicious inner dialogue. She's an award-winning artist with work displayed at Oheka Castle and Alice Tully Estate on Long Island, the Russian Tea Room in Manhattan, and many private residences in Chicago and New York. She has taught art therapy at an abused children's home, given lectures on surviving a family of addicts, donated handmade gingerbread houses to Snyder's Children's Hospital's Cancer Ward, and designed a coloring book for the Paul Newman Double H Hole in the Woods Ranch, a camp for children with cancer. So she is so dynamic. I really wish I could do a three-hour podcast with her (laughs) because we just could have so, so much to talk about. So, again, just super happy to have you here today, Rebecca. Welcome. So, Rebecca, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. So as we get started today, I'd love to just go back to the basics of, you know, how you began your journey uh, of healing. How did that all start for you? Well, I, you know, I I did your typical, you know, child sex abuse adult mistakes. I married abusive men twice. And I finally got out of uh, the second marriage. And my son was a drug addict. And I, you know, came from a whole family of addicts, and I moved a thousand miles away from my family, and my son still turned to drugs. And I thought, no, you can't have this one. So I put him in rehab and at Daytop, and I did all the um, things that they told me to do, including going to the the counseling meetings and the, you know, family support groups. And they right. had someone who was a speaker who gave the points of addiction, of red flags to watch out for. And I realized, even though I've never done drugs or drank or anything, because I definitely don't want to go there, that I was an addict anyway, that I was addicted to hurting myself. I was a self-harmer. I had terrible, vicious inner dialogue. And so I decided to start tackling it the same way you would a substance abuse, a substance addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I... I started examining myself and seeing things that I would do 
every time I'd insult myself, I would stop it. And then I would say a positive. And it, of course, when you first start out something like that, you attack yourself because your little parasitic insecurity doesn't want to stop feeding. And so I would say, I love you, Rebecca, out loud. And when I first started doing it, it was so hard, I had to say it to a baby picture mm. of myself. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't look at any photo that even remotely looked like me. So it had to yeah. be like a little newborn baby picture. And I would slap myself in the face for saying such a blasphemous lie. Mm. But I kept at it. And I think that's the secret. I think that, you know, there is no overnight cure. There's no pill we can take to fix this damage. Right. And so I, I consider it to be like a, you know, like a diabetic. I have to take my daily dose of self-love insulin mm. mm-hmm. every day or I'm in trouble. I'll slide right back really fast. And so oh, I, I love that. it like that. That's awesome. So, you know, thanks for, for sharing that insight because I think, you know, in my own journey, I can relate to this idea of stepping back in a moment and going, well, I don't have that particular issue, <laughs> but boy, howdy, am I, you know, really doing this thing over here? And I think I was an addict to drama, right? Creating chaos and right. keeping things, you know, disrupted. And um, and so, you know, we all find those ways and strategies of coping with what is uh, not a normal situation. And certainly self-harm is um, is a very common uh, way of doing that. And I'd actually like to talk about that a little bit more here today because I think people avoid that topic. Uh, people aren't, you know, are scared or um, ashamed or embarrassed, whatever it might be, or just not sure. And so... Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what that self-harm, like what role that played for you? How did that help you at a certain point in your life? And and how did you find your way, you know, to reduce that self-harm and, and find other strategies? And maybe what do you do today instead of the self-harm? Well, it was strange. The way it started was I started clawing myself in my sleep. And, oh. uh, you know, like something really traumatic would happen. And I was a little bitty girl. I think I started when I was about seven or eight. And I was not a cutter because I have really thin fingernails, so they're like knives. So I could just slice myself and no one would ever find what I was cutting myself with. It was mm. actually my own fingernails. And uh, I, I saw the claws on my back because I clawed my back and my shoulders. And I, uh, I became fascinated by it. And then, you know, you become a picker and you become obsessed and then you're like, you want to do it again. It got to the point where I would get overwhelmed with the emotions. And it was kind of the same as feeling like a balloon that was blown up too tight. And I had to Mm. cut that surface tension to get rid of some of that tension. And it's kind of like, you know, know, the dog whisperer when he goes at a dog. When you cut your skin, it distracts you. And then you get a look at that and you're like, oh, that kind of eased it. And then you get really hooked on it. And there's something, there's something, uh, it's almost like a relationship, you know, the self-harm, the hurting. And, mm. uh, I've, you know, most guys I know who are CSA and they're self-harmers, they seem to burn themselves. But, but uh, women seem to cut themselves more. I mean, guys cut too, 
But I, I've, I've noticed that there's a propensity in, in men to burn themselves more than cut themselves. And it's, it's, uh, it's always some sort of a, like a macho contest. Who can hold a cigarette against their arm longer? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I used to have um, clawing contests with another little girl who was abused. And we would claw each other's arm and oh, see wow. who, could, yeah. who could start crying first. Yeah. And pain got to where it meant nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. you know, because you get pain from your abuser and then you get pain from yourself. And then you decide to outdo your abuser, both emotionally, physically and spiritually. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you hurt me. Watch me hurt myself worse. You know, it's that kind of mm-hmm. twisted thinking that we do. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, I I think that one of the interesting things that I've discovered along, you know, my my research and studying of things when in this particular area is on a neurological level, what's really fascinating about it is it actually causes the brain to release um the same chemicals that get released when you do a drug like heroin. Exactly. Yeah, and so on a actual like on a biological neurological level, self harming can become such an addiction because of that that distraction, that release of those you know hormones and um, or chemicals, and uh, and so we find ourselves in this loop, you know. And I love that image that you shared of like you know things get you know really tight and tense. And, you know, almost like you get to your capacity of being able to hold or deal with your life. And so, and this behavior feels like it's releasing something and distracting from that. So, you know, what was it for you that, that finally made it, you know, possible to to shift out of that? You know, what do you do today when you feel that tightening happening um, instead of the, the self-harm? I pull the mattress off the bed, put it against the wall, and beat on it. <laughs> yes. I'm down. I'm down. You know, I'm like, yeah. I don't have any exercise equipment or anything fancy. I just yank the mattress off the bed, throw it against the wall, and just pound on it. I'll kick <laughs> it. I'll throw myself against it. But I have not actually self-harmed myself for uh, going on eight years now. Yeah. Which is awesome. What happened was, I think the addiction to the pain and the release and the chemical and everything, you combine that with the sympathy of people who love you. Oh, God, don't hurt yourself. Oh, oh, you know, please don't do that. And you get a rush from that, too, because mm-hmm. when we don't love ourselves, we have to look outside. We're always looking for somebody to save us. We're always looking for a soulmate to swoop in and save us. Right. And we would probably tell you know, the hero to get lost as long as we hate ourselves because we would hold them in contempt, at least subconsciously, for, you know, daring to love somebody like us. What are, what are you, an idiot? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had decided to become my own soulmate. And so when I started doing the self-love exercises and things that I still do every day, every night I say, good night, beautiful mind, good night, beautiful body, good night, beautiful spirit. And, and I mean them now. It took six months for me to feel the slightest mm-hmm. difference once I was doing this every day. But I, I decided to do all the things I dreamed my hero would do for me. Like if somebody insulted me, including myself, I would stand up for me. No, don't say that. Don't do that. And, and I, would, I would stand between myself and my own insecurity addiction. 
And so you got a ping pong of I hate you, I love you going going on in your head and heart. <laughs> yeah. But you know, persistent repetition. Yes. Seems to be the only yeah. thing that has ever worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I never even thought about the self harm stuff because I didn't really I didn't even really think it was that bad a problem. You know, I had claw marks on my legs and on my back and on my stomach and stuff, so people couldn't see. So I was like, oh, well, that's improving, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, it's not. It's just hiding. Mm-hmm. But as I began to find value in myself, that addiction became less and less. Yes. And I don't even really have the longing to physically harm myself anymore. You know, I'll have bouts, but they go away much faster than they used to. You know, yeah. usually you'll get you'll get one of those cravings. It's going to last like a week. Mm-hmm. And exactly. You're bullets because you just want to claw or rip or burn or whatever you do to yourself. Mm-hmm. And and then that's a lot of times how we drift into really bad relationships. Oh, here's somebody who'll do it for me, and I can get rid of the guilt. Yes, that's right. They can do it for me. And, wow. Uh, and then you get addicted to that. And then also there's a weird twist because you'll stay with somebody who's horrible because no one else will. And you know that, and that's what gives you self-worth. Well, he'd be all alone if not for me. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of nonsense that we do in our head to ourselves. Exactly. It's true. But this is the damage that we do to ourselves every day, you know. And the little self-love exercises and stuff has prevented me from doing that. And it's also fascinating. People's other people's opinions when I still hated myself meant everything. You know, I could have the biggest jerk in the world say some mild, mean thing to me, and I would be distraught for months mm-hmm. and not be able to let go of the thought. Now, you know, some creep will say something to me, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, it it actually doesn't bother me. Or if it does, it's like a little flush, and then it's gone. Yeah. Which is yeah. considering considering how I was, you know, for most of my life. And and you you could have told me that I would be like this, you know, say ten, fifteen years ago, never would have believed you. Oh yeah, that's nice. You don't get it, you don't understand. I never would have believed that I could be as happy and fond of myself as I am now. Mm. But you know, love is really powerful. That's why we're always looking for it. Even And we, we tend to look for it in other broken people. They tend to look for it in us, and then we, we consume each other, and then mm-hmm. there's nothing left. But when you start directing that love towards yourself, like I look at my inner child, like in the, you know, in the poetry of rage, and I, I take care of her. I'm her mother, and I'm the mother of all those versions of me. And I'm responsible for them. And I take care of them now. I don't kick them. I don't, you know, call them names. I don't blame them for, you know, what happened to us and my miserable adulthood because you got raped or beaten or whatever or both. And uh, I I really take care of her now. And I have I have little happy kids running around inside of me now, my inner my inner child of all different stages of, you know, growth are happy. And the ones that aren't we all kind of take care of them. Mm. And the difference is amazing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there's so much 
in what you just shared there, and uh, thank you for that. You know, one thing I know about you, Rebecca, is that it always comes straight from the heart. And, you know, we're getting a beautiful download today of, like, of just your wisdom and your experience, and I'm so grateful for that. And it's so needed. There are so many survivors of abuse out there who are hurting and hurting in, in an immeasurable way and feeling hopeless, feeling like, you know, there there's no way out of this and that it's going to be unending, you know, and uh, that feeling that you were talking about of like being almost, diff- you know, impossible to imagine life being any different. But what I love about what you've just given us is uh, uh, almost like a, a crack through the door of, you know, a door that we could step into that can actually lead to the life that we really want to have. And I want to really highlight something that you said there, which is this idea of persistence and consistency. You know, one of the things that I tell my clients all the time when we're working through the strategies that I'm giving them for healing their brain, healing their lives, is this is exactly like any other exercise. You know, if you do five sit-ups, to get six-pack abs, and then you run over to the mirror and get frustrated because they aren't there yet and give up. (laughs) It's exactly the same thing. It's exactly Exactly the the same same thing. thing. Yes, and so I'd love to hear a little more. You've given us a little glimpse of some of those self-love exercises, kind of how you end your day and things you say. Maybe um, do you mind sharing maybe one or two other little self-love exercises that you've cultivated over the years that really helped you on a day-to-day um, basis stay you know in shape if you will oh yeah like like um the hardest one to kick strangely enough was um humor i was very witty with self-derogatory humor mm. and i you know when you start to study yourself and you're like okay i can get a laugh you know like i i would talk about how fat i was you know i would say Oh, you know, I wish I had zippers all over my backside so I could just stuff the pie in there and, you know, <laughs> just bypass digestion. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 and everybody would laugh. Mm-hmm. And it would be funny. And But it was, that's actually a really mean thing to say. Yeah, right. You know, even though it's funny. And I was doing it to get a laugh, but subconsciously I was thinking, will someone please step up and say that's not funny? Right. You know, and, and actually stand up for me. So what I, I first started to do was I stopped the self-derogatory humor. Now, when I first started doing this, I mean, you know, anybody who thinks that they're not as bad as I was, I was bad. I was, I tried to kill myself when I was uh, 24, 25, and, uh, and had been suicidal on and off for years after that. Um, I hadn't been able to look at my entire face in the mirror for years. When I put makeup on, um, I would cover part of my face so that I wasn't forced to look at that face because I hated that face so much. And so I, um, and I had not worn any kind of, you know, revealing clothes or, or, you know, kind of sexy clothes for years and years. I just wore giant bag, you know, bag lady, baggy clothes. And so one of the first thing exercises I did was I put on a pair of shorts, and I had not worn shorts for over a decade, mm-hmm. and a sleeveless top. 
and I went for a walk. Wow. And I was, I was so messed up. I threw up in the bushes yeah. because I was, I was just terrified that people were going to see this ugly thing and wreck cars and all this other kind of thing. So I, I started, but something magical happened from that horrible, horrible 45 minute walk where I was just sweating and shaking and, you know, spaghetti legged by the time I got home. Nobody laughed at me. Nobody said, Oh, what is that? Nobody did anything that I thought they would do, you know, recoil in horror from mm-hmm. the side of me. And so I started doing that as an occasional exercise. And then um, I I would do all the things that I wanted a soulmate to do. Like um, if I did something and I did it well, I would actually say good job. And then mm-hmm. I would do strange little physical exercises that you do that you hope like somebody would come over and just give you a kiss on the head or, you know, just a a touch, something like that, because touch is so important as well. And so I'd be at work and I'd kiss my own hand Mm -hmm. and just funny little things. Nobody has to see. It can be very private, but I would do little, little affectionate things like that. Now, when I first started, and this is a big word of warning, I did not believe a word of it. I That's was right. not grateful for it. I was disgusted. I called myself, you effing this, you blah, blah, blah. I hit myself in the face, like I told you. And I resisted really strongly because I had built up quite an armor from all yes. these years of you know, abuse mm-hmm. and pain. And it's going to take a while to tap through that armor. And so I kept at it. I would do, um, I'd walk around and I would notice something beautiful. I would purposely go out and look for something beautiful, even at my work, you know, like, okay, there's desks and fluorescent light, you know, <laughs> I would, I would look and I would see a, a, a sparkle of light on the wall. Like maybe somebody had a, a glass or something and it was refracting and there'd be like a little prism or there's always something magical and no one else sees it the way you do that is a gift just for you and every day i would go out and i would specifically look for something beautiful that was just for me and i would start to recognize them as the gifts that they are because when you're in so much pain you don't notice anything but your pain right you know you're you you, you, you're stuck in your case your shell and you don't notice anything if you force yourself to look out and notice things and also i wanted to feel worthy. And so I thought, you want to feel worthy? Do something worthy. And so mm-hmm. I would hold the door open for somebody. I would bring somebody a cup of coffee. I would do a, an act of kindness, small or large, but I would make sure I did acts of kindness every single day. And it's wonderful to see an unexpected smile on someone like I compliment somebody walking down the sidewalk who was a complete stranger. Remember one time this woman, when I first started this, this woman had this beautiful lavender dress on. And she was walking down the street and the sun was shining on her and she just looked beautiful. And I said, you look beautiful. That's a lovely dress. And she actually stopped in her tracks and she said, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to, you know, be attacked because Mm -hmm. I was so paranoid. It was just her thanking me for being Mm -hmm. kind. Right. So if you want to be worthy, wow, nice. 
You know, what I love about all the little strategies that you've been sharing that have made such a difference for you is that there's a, a really beautiful theme that's a part of all of them, which is turning the focus away from the internal and towards the external. How am I in the world? How do I want to show up? And some of it's that internal dialogue stuff. But, but what you know, a lot of times, you know, us survivors, we can get very insular. And it's all about us and what's going on for us. And I love this, you know, man, like, let me do an act of, of service. Let me do an act of kindness. Let me go out into the world and, and connect with something outside of myself that's beautiful and, you know, I love that because it's just, it's almost like it brings our head up, you know, rather than being right. so down and into everything and reviewing and ruminating and, and, you know, yes, there is, you know, time for reflection. Yes, there is time for kind of going internal and looking at what's there. But if we get stuck there, man, we miss out on so much, so, so much. Right. Yeah. You know, you can multitask. You yeah. can be miserable and do something <laughs> nice, too. You know? you there you go. Yeah. Oh, man. You, you can you can juggle. You can yeah. do them both, you know? Even so, And the, the, the best thing is you won't believe your words of love and your words of kindness, right. and you won't believe it's going to make any difference. It's, but do it anyway. That because that's how I was. I didn't believe any of it, and I thought it was ridiculous, and I thought I was ridiculous for doing it. But I kept doing it. That's right. That's, That's the key, right. is to keep doing it. Even even when you smack yourself in the face and call yourself every name under mm-hmm. the sun, say, That's I love right. you anyway. And always use your name when you say, I love you. Because your mind can be like, oh, you're not saying it to you. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I always, yes. I always say, I love you, Rebecca. You know? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And that. what's really weird is now I do, which is so yeah. astonishing. Well, that's the beautiful thing, you know, the power of language and the power of retraining the brain and challenging old beliefs. And as we as we remain consistent and, um, you know, there are some maybe some other layers to all of this as well. But in the beginning, when you're saying these words to yourself, there is absolutely that part of your brain that says, nope, does not compute. I don't believe that. Um, That's a lie. Um, Right. I have never said it. Yeah, exactly. But as you stick with it, your brain has to, your brain just has to change. It's just simple neurology. It has to, because the brain is, um, it's like anything else. If you, wherever you put its focus, that's what it's going to keep a hold of. And that's what it's going to keep remembering. And that's what it's going to hold as truth. So, um, so before I want to, I want to take a moment here to just switch gears a little bit because, you know, you've been on this journey of, of writing, you know, this book, Freak, um, this, the true story of an insecurity addict. And, you know, you've got some other books in the pipeline and some new ideas. And um, I'd just love to hear, you know, what that has been like for you to to really take your experiences and, and to turn them into, you know, giving back to others and, and what surprised you about that, what's been awesome, what's been hard about that. Well, what's really strange when you write about yourself, especially, you know, like a memoir, and you have to put things in chronological order, you start realizing, oh, I I didn't know that led to that. Oh, that led to that. And, oh, yeah, the reason I tried to kill myself was because of that. I didn't, because 
you know, I just remembered it as, as like a general misery, but it was a, a series of specific events. And so you can kind of analyze yourself. Now, it's really strange because I would write passages and stuff and then I'd go throw up. I'd run fevers. I'd have terrible nightmares. I'm having weird, weird nightmares right now, you know, while I'm writing on this sequel. Now, when I was writing on Freak, the first one, I had I have traumatic amnesia from after mm-hmm. my brother, my teenage brother was killed. I was between eight and nine. I remember very little of that entire year. Well, I went to a therapist and we started doing, you know, bringing back memories and all these exercises and stuff. And she told me trauma is going to unlock trauma, so just beware. And it mm-hmm. did. And and I remembered a specific horrible gang rape, you know, by my brother, my alive brother and his buddies you know, when I was eight and how they tore me up and put cigarettes out on my head and awful stuff like that. And um, and then I, I, I ran a fever for like two days just from the memory of that. But I was really happy to have the memory back because it's going to mess you up whether it's locked in your mind or not. But if you finally remember it and you have this, you know, the ability to remember it, then you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I've actually started having nightmares again, um, writing this, this sequel to Freak because, you know, Freak ended in 2004. Mm. And everybody's like, well, what happened next? What happened next? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean there's a cannibal in your family? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I just found out. Isn't that great? You know, the, the genetic pool from which I spring. But uh, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's like, oh, gee, I, ha- thanks for the genes. I always feel just like a... Uh, Cary Grant at the end of Arsenic and Lace, where he's so happy to find out he's illegitimate. (laughs) (laughs) He's so thrilled. (laughs) I wish I was the son of a sea cook. But I look like my father in drag, so I know I'm not. But uh, it's, it's been incredibly exhausting and scary and moments of just unbelievable rage. And then, and then, a weird sorrow where you feel like you're a little kid again, you know. And um, so it's been, it's been a fascinating, kind of horrifying journey. And this last, this last year, in 2015, I took care of my father. Um, I was in New York, and he called me from his little house in Southern Illinois, and and he was crying, and he asked me to come take take care of him, and I did. I came back and I took care of this man who raped me when I was 13, who abused my siblings and my mother and was terrible to all of us. And I didn't want to do it. And then I just thought, you know what? He's CSA too. You know, he was he was raped when he was five for, for a whole year by his cousins. And um, and he has all the red flags right. of, a, of, a, of a CSA, macho, violent, Screw everything he can get his hands on mail, and uh, and it became this incredible journey that I never expected. And uh, towards the end of his life, he goes, "You're wonderful," and I said, "Shut up!" And he goes, "I mean it. I I didn't know I didn't know you were wonderful." And I said, "Yeah, you just thought I was a New York snob who didn't care." And he goes, "I did. I really did." But he he opened up to me mm-hmm. because I didn't let him get away with, oh, I didn't do this or I didn't say that. I said, yeah, you did, and I'm here anyway. So stop trying to be Mr. Nice Guy because you weren't. 
Right. And, yeah. and, and we, he opened up and he told me things about his childhood and any hatred I ever had for this guy who was a monster. He was an absolute monster. But this last year showed me why he's a monster, what happened to him mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and what broke him and how he never repaired it. All he did was build a big old strong wall around all those right. shattered pieces inside. Right. Yeah. And it was it was fascinating. And yeah. that's one of the things I'm I'm writing about right now. Oh man. Yeah. That is going to be a powerful read. I can already feel that because you know, the journey that we go on with, you know, somebody who has been an abuser but is also at the end of the day a parent. Oh, you know, or a sibling and how we find our way through those relationships is, I think, one of the more challenging, but also almost like fascinating and has such potential for such amazing transformation and healing as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, we, I think we do what we do is because there are so many people who, you know, generationally didn't get support. Um, it wasn't available. And thank God we're at a place where we talk more about this and we, we bring right. it out, uh, you know, out of the, the closet more and more. And people can can reach out and get support. And that's so necessary so that we can, you know, break these generational, you know, curses that just pass down from one generation to the next to the next. And, um, you know, every time we stop that cycle, by getting healed and, you know, taking care of ourselves and learning, you know, all the things that we need to learn as survivors of abuse, you know, we are healing the world. That has such huge, huge trickle-down effects. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I I told – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I told my father – we were having this conversation – and, you know, here's this guy. He's got no legs. They're chopped off. He's, Mercer is eating him alive. He's in unbelievable agony. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, oh, man, this is, what a horrible, horrible, horrible karma for this guy, you know? Yeah. And um, and we were talking, and uh, he said something about abuse in our family. And he had actually traced it back 200 years in wow. our family. Through police reports and and letters. And Mm -hmm. I told him, I said, well, Dad, you you were a terrible dad. You were a terrible father. But you were better than your dad. And I said, my brother was a terrible father, but he was better than you. Mm -hmm. I'm better than he is. My kids will be better than me. Mm -hmm. I said, if we keep going like this in a couple generations, we will have weeded child abuse out of our family. That's it. And he burst out crying. He burst out crying. He said, do you really think so? Do you really, really think so? And I said, yeah, I do. And then he just sat there and just cried. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very lucky with him because most abusers are like, I never did that or you deserved it or whatever. And they never let go of that. My father father, um, actually had some depth beyond Mm -hmm. all the monstrosity, which Mm -hmm. was fascinating to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like he was able to kind of see the correlation between his experiences and his choices and found that place of, you know, basically feeling that remorse and that regret 
that you know that the that circumstances were such that it set things up you know for terrible things to happen and that in no way excuses the choices um but you know we do we do only have in front of us the options that have been taught to us you know and uh at a certain point when we we go okay wait i don't know how to do this but i'm going to go learn right i'm going to go figure it out and luckily you know we've gotten to the place where people more and more can get that kind of education can get that resources those resources and can break those cycles um so we can put an end to this ridiculous epidemic that is all across the world of children being harmed in this way and always has been. I like exactly. what Will Smith said. He said, abuse has always happened. Now it's being filmed. That's yeah. really different. Exactly. If we, if, we yeah. keep, if we keep telling, I always tell people, tell. Don't be afraid to tell. Tell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then that will, you, you can tell a room of 10 people that you were sexually abused, and there will be at least one in there who has also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? In yeah. some way, male, female, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's always a brother or sister of circumstance around you, and they don't know you exist either because right. you're not telling. And if we tell and if we open up and share our stories, then people will be able to start to heal. And That's they will right. also be able to clean up the mess because we're shining a light on it. Yeah. And that's beautiful <laughs> about right now. You know, yeah, here, yeah. Ah, you roaches, you know, I'll get you. And uh, it's it's marvelous. I, I look at the difference of the options I had as a little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually told my teacher. And my teacher told me, you must have been bad. Right. You know, and you just slink back to your seat. Oh, wow. And, you know, you're a little kid. And uh, now there's laws and all this other stuff. And, and teachers are being held more accountable. And, and all sorts of people are are opening up and they're talking about it they're not ignoring it and they have to keep doing that right and then that's how we that's how like you said we heal the world literally and even if you're like oh well i can't heal the world you can heal one person's world exactly even if it's just your own that's the world (laughs) exactly yes (laughs) yes exactly oh man i love that i love that what a beautiful thought what a beautiful thought you know so, Rebecca, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, being here today, sharing your stories, sharing your gifts. I am so excited about this upcoming novel of yours. But for those of you who are listening, in the meantime, while that's in the works, um, be sure to go to RebeccaDonnell.com. Uh, I always leave the O off. Rebecca O'Donnell. <laughs> So, um, and, uh, and you can definitely get Rebecca's book, Freak, The True Story of an Insecurity Addict at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, paperback, all that good stuff. And um, really don't hesitate to reach out to Rebecca. She's a great advocate and resource, and I'm happy, happy to connect and be there. Um, any final thoughts, Rebecca? Um, everybody out there? You know, you can be a, a, a low-down, dirty, miserable skank, but that's not all you are. I was a skank, and now I'm not. And you can you can be anything that you want if you just take that step. I completely believe in you. Because if somebody is 
ridiculous as I was and miserable as I was can do it. And you certainly can too. Mm, Absolutely. I second that wholeheartedly. Man, Rebecca, thank you once again for your time today, for your spirit. Thank you for having me. For your dedication. Yeah. You're my pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to check out the other resources that are available there on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast because we have so much more to share. And until next time, take really good care of you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.